Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. So I'm very tired right now. I'm kind of uh, burning at both ends of the candle, but that's not going to stop me from telling you that the debate that I had with Charlie Kirk was kind of pog. I imagine some of the people who are watching this right now or who will watch this in the future are people who uh, are watching it exclusively because of that debate. And if you're a Tim Pool fan or whatever, hello, uh, howdy. Uh, very happy to have you here. Uh, the first thing that I want to say, and I'm not going to belabor this point, the first thing I'm going to say is that when I was going into that debate, I was under the impression it would be some 3v1. Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong. It wasn't an exaggeration that I employed for drama's sake. It's something I legitimately believed. But uh, credit where credit's due. Uh, I think that Tim Pool was an exceptionally fair moderator. I do. No, I do. That was a one-on-one -on -one right there. That was me and Charlie Kirk. Yeah, that's I, I, I think that anybody looking at the content of that debate in a fair light, I'd never seen Tim Pool... Um, actually moderated debate before so i didn't know what to expect but he actually fact-checked a few times when he fact-checked charlie kirk on the whole spike protein thing and corrected him on that i wow what hey thank you you know thank you very much um so i won't complain about that it was a 1v1 and uh i want to talk about that 1v1 so before i get to actually talking about the debate um every day the left gets a new opportunity to disappoint me. And I was expecting some pushback on this because invariably when I do stuff like this, people, uh, they accuse me of platforming people like Charlie Kirk. This happens every time, okay? Now, I don't know what people think platforming means. I don't know what they think that word means. Um, but... I'm not capable of platforming Charlie Kirk or Tim Pool, okay? Uh, I'm not capable of legitimizing them. The opposite is possible. They're much larger than I am. Um, the logistics of responsible platforming, uh, it's a complicated subject, but you are so far off base when you are looking at what happened and thinking, damn, if only it wasn't for Vosh, Nobody would know who Charlie Kirk and Tim Pool were. Okay. Whatever you say, man. So, I expected some of that. Unfortunately, some of the dumb shit takes came from Robert Evans here, which is, which is sad, because I like Robert Evans. We can see my, my white denim jacket, my drip, coming in here. And I just want to respond to this really quick, because I feel a need to. Debating the far right is dumb. Debate is useless as a method for discovering truth. I won awards in it as a kid. It teaches you how to bulldoze people, uh, people, people words, how to force your point through with trickery. That is why grifters love it. With words, fucking autocorrect. So he came in, he came in at the end there, he recognized his critical error. So I guess I'll just lightly critique this because stuff like this bothers me. And do you mind if I say something that comes off maybe a little bit self-centered. I feel like the only reason people say this is because they don't like me. 
Was there any debate, bro, on the left discourse before me? Only to the extent people consider destiny on the left, which has always been sort of a variable topic, but I feel like for the most part, this is something that people just use to attack me. Like, like, pe like if people don't like me, then all of a sudden the act of debating people on the right is this horrible, destructive, subversive process. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, but they don't do this with Sam Cedar. In fact, and here, this, this is what really pisses me off, and I'll respond to this in full, but I, I read through this thread for a little bit, and Robert Evans uh, does respond to a few people. Ro yeah, here we go. Somebody says, just let Sam Cedar do it, and Robert Evans says he's one of the only people in left media who understands the game enough to play responsibly. Motherfucker! So just, just say you like Sam, but not me. What do you mean? Sam was also... Uh, 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 willing in his own way, to go on Tim Pool's show, to talk with Tim Pool, and he's talked to Charlie Kirk before. What do you mean? Oh, he understands the game? Come on, just say you don't like me. Why, 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 why play this game? You guys remember when... Oh my god, am I still trending? I'm still trending. Oh my god. Um, You guys remember when I raised over a quarter million dollars for the um for the Palestine Children's Relief Fund? And Mike from PA, because he didn't like me, had to find a way to condemn it, even though he participated in the fundraiser that Chapo Trap House was doing at the same time. So he was like, I'm not a fan of the liberal act of charity. Now, some charity donations are fine. It really depends on the... It's like, just say you don't like me. Come on, dude. Anyway, so the reason why this point from Robert Evans is super, super dumb is that nobody said debate is a good method for discovering truth, okay? Debate is nothing but attention grabbing, all right? Debate and all forms of public political engagement are nothing but the attention economy. You do what you can to grab as many eyeballs as possible and you try to move people over. Can you move your opponent over? Almost never. Almost never. But can you move indifferent audience members over? Yeah. Yeah, you can. I like people who take this position, by the way, believe that, like, th they believe this in spite of all fact, all logic, that nobody gets pulled over by seeing their faves get demolished in a debate. And this is such an empirically uh, falsifiable point. There are literally hundreds of thousands of people online uh, through me, through Destiny, through Sam Cedar, through David Pakman, through Kyle Kalinske who have had their opinions changed, swayed left, because of some favorable debate showing. That's what it does. And if we're speaking, by the way, about the logistics of the attention economy, hey, it's a good thing that Charlie Kirk and Tim Pool are like 20 times my size. So, anyway, just say you don't like me, don't waste my time with stupid half-arguments that you back up on later, because there are actually people who do debates that you do like. So, just <laughs> Okay. So with all that being said, the debate. The debate itself. Uh, I think I won. I guess I don't know how anyone could feel otherwise, but I'd like to talk about why I feel that way. Um, so, you should watch the debate. Go watch it on Tim Pool's channel. Just go. I'm not going to re-upload re the whole thing on my thing. I might re-upload some clips, but it is worthwhile to look at it. So, I noticed something right at the beginning of the debate, okay? Right at the beginning. Uh, Tim Pool brought up vaccines in the context of what was it that new york proposed bill and um charlie kirk came out the gate hard what was his first dig hmm 
you uh you claim to be anti-corporation yet the corporate produced vaccines are things you want people to take and he was like that's ironic and he like repeated it multiple times too you know and i'll tell you this okay charlie kirk came into that altercation at a disadvantage because charlie kirk is used to live debate those stupid brainless quips are really effective in live debates because he stops and the audience roars its approval because they're just here to see charlie kirk without an audience stuff like that doesn't work as well because you can just ride the silence you can just disagree those dumb little quips don't have the natural momentum that's provided by the crowd's approval and he's used to debating publicly. If I debated him publicly, a format which I am, by the way, completely inexperienced in, uh, he may well have come off looking far better, even if not a word of the debate had changed. But we were in a studio, which is something that I am used to. That didn't go too well for him. And the further we went through the conversation, I noticed his tone changing. Um, at first, he came off confrontational, but the longer it went on, he backed off of that. And it was interesting to me because at certain points in the debate, it felt less like a debate and more like, like I was educating him. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that very literally. Like I was being given an explicit opportunity to just sit there and give my full thoughts on something. And the reason why that means so much to me is because, and this is, this is why I think, this is why I exceeded my, my expectations uh, beyond my wildest dreams here. And it's that on so many of these points, I got no pushback. He was not willing to defend the state anti-CRT laws. I brought it up like four times and not once did he even try to defend those. On the vaccine topic, which, which always devolves into conspiracism, of course, I think I made a compelling argument for the positive freedom that you gain through mass vaccination because you prevent the perpetual spread of the disease. When it came to the broader discourse on critical race theory, I got the opportunity to actually describe the value of some of these theories. And not only did I have the opportunity to do this, he actually kind of picked and chose what he was willing to argue against. See, in a debate like this, you can never choose every single point from your opponent to tackle. You know, you can never do it. If you want to argue down every single point that the opponent makes, you'll be there forever. You have to be selective. And he was more than selective. He was downright, you could call it, uh, conservative in the points that he was willing to tackle, you know? He immediately backed off the spurious association with critical race theory and what he called wokeism. Did you notice that? Immediately, he acknowledged that critical race theory is an esoteric academic theory that has very little application in high school. And then he was like, okay, so it's really about wokeism. So I don't even need to argue that it's a moral panic. You admit it. You just attach a scary name. I said it. So it's a scary name you attach to this to keep people, you know, uh, uh, fearful of it. And I didn't even get pushback on it, which was nice. I feel like he may have had, either he or his uh, people associated with him, they may have known that I was very prepared to talk about Martin Luther King because he came out with that Martin Luther King was a mixed bag statement. Like he didn't want to 
he didn't want to like do the conservative mistake of attributing like absolute moral worth to him ahead of time so he was like fronting it with yeah which by the way optically looks great for me uh no matter what i mean just by default that looks really really good because if you're not willing to accept the civil rights propositions of martin luther king jr then you're against literally all civil rights i mean you no longer have mlk as like the one good one anymore you're you're, you're opposed it's like oh we're not anti-civil rights we just hate everyone and everything and every idea that's ever been used to promote civil rights you know um so i'm glad that he didn't even bother with that pretense i guess the thing that really made me happy is that it felt like every time there was a core point that i wanted to make i feel like i got away with making it virtually unchallenged um he didn't have a response to the pharmaceutical company nationalization because he does this like populist anti-corporate front thing you can't you can't out anti-corporate me. I'm a socialist. You're not. Ob like you're you're only baiting yourself. Like yeah, I'll I'll nationalize the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay. So you you can't that you you can't take that. You can't go further than I can on that. Um. So I don't know why you I don't know why you'd even try. Um. The further the conversation went, it felt like it felt like he started acting in a little bit more good faith, almost like I was getting interviewed. Which, again, I appreciated. I love talking. There's actually a segment that I wanted to show. It was clipped by uh, leftist Ryan Knight on Twitter. Um, it's just two minutes. I want to look at it really quickly because I think it illustrates what I think I really succeeded in doing in this debate, if I may. There's Charlie. People graduate by the time of high school to be skeptical, apprehensive, and not very proud of the country or eventually tell a true and patriotic story where you have people graduating that are thankful and have gratitude. Oh, Th that's I, I, the purpose of education when it comes through. Gratitude is not the purpose of education. Well, I think gratitude's a moral necessity. No, you should be grateful for the people in your life, but I will never be grateful to the state. I'm not that much of a collectivist. Well, not, not a state. Are you not thankful that you live in America? I'm thankful of the things that make my life easier. I was born white to well-off parents, and today I enjoy many of the benefits of having really responsible and attentive Are you parents. thankful you have constitutional rights that are protected by government, given True. to you by God? But do you know how those constitutional rights came about? They were fought for were, by whiny bitches like me who were never satisfied with what they were already They given. were granted by God, protected in the Constitution They were fought for by whiny, same as the 14th and 15th Amendments, everything that's come since, we fought for them, and it is discontentedness Are you that thankful leads for us to fight. Then? I'm thankful for their efforts, as okay. am I for there, the- There's some gratitude. Sure, I'm grateful to them, but patriotism, I'm grateful to what people in America do, but America's a concept. It's been used to do a lot of good oh, and a lot no. of harm. It's a home. Well, a home can be a, I mean, in the broadest sense, but I know what my home is. I know where my family lives and I'm loyal to them. When it Stuff like this is really, really effective, you know? One of, the, one of the things, so there are a couple of perceptions that people have of left-leaning people that can be used to sort of outright dismiss them. One of them is like the cringy SJW. And because I was calm this whole time, I think I was fine. But with this one, like a, a, one, of, one of the stereotypes is that like, lefties are like these shiftless deconstructive losers who can appreciate nothing they're always mad they're always but the point i'm trying to make here is that you, the deepest appreciation is born out of criticism appreciation means nothing without the contrast of knowing that it's been built up from something lesser you know 
that that means the that's that's the that's the heart of appreciation. You have to know something was done wrong to be thankful. Uh, the reason I'm thankful for my parents being so cool isn't just because they're so cool. It's because I have so many friends whose parents were so much worse. I didn't learn how good my parents were until I learned how bad parents could be. Their worth was always meaningful, but I didn't really appreciate it until I saw, until it was contextualized. When it comes to this country, though, this is a political and economic block, and I have only one concern, and it's that the people in this country live the best lives possible. Also outside the country, but I, I you know, I live here. This is my, this is my backyard, and. When I want people graduating, you know, from high school, I don't want them to feel this sense of contentedness. Contentedness is the death of activism for all that's good. And activists have always been, you're an activist in your own way, as am I, have always been the forerunners uh, for good. They've done a lot of damage too. Sure, they have, but we make the world move. And I want to get people, I want to get kids interested in the flaws in this country because that teaches them to grow up and care about them See, so hard they fix them. This is... is Stuff like that, that, because it's, imp it's important to remember, okay? When you criticize America, when I, the, the reason I want people to be critical of America, it's not for its own sake. It's not because I hate America. It's not because I'm ungrateful. It's not because I'm disrespectful. It's because I believe in improving the things around me, improving the world that I live in. And you can't do that unless you are willing to acknowledge these criticisms, you know? It's a non-essentialist critique. And at the end of the day, it has always been the discontented who move us forward. I'm really, really happy with this, with this particular segment because I think it illustrates the most charitable way you can depict the, the, the perspective of, of uh, well, people like us, radical or reformist. Um, and I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed that very much. There were so many things that I tried to avoid um over the course of this conversation i like really really care it's really important to get across a couple of powerful ideas you know you don't want anyone to feel guilty for being white or male or anything like you don't want to assign any inherent guilt you know i i can't, i actually can't believe it when i think about this you know charlie kirk is a big media figure you know and i've seen how he talks and this is not a guy often in the peripheral of nuance. This is, this is not a person whose media profile is often adjacent to nuance, but I got to describe structural racism and they accepted it. I actually can't believe that. That's more than I've gotten from almost any conversation that I've had with conservatives. I... I couldn't believe it when I got away with that. I, I, I was able to describe the concept of inertial systemic racism that as a product of past harm without specific redressing, that harm continues. And I didn't get a pushback on that. And that is insane to me, you know? I, I can't... That is, that's something that you... I mean, I, I thought I'd have to the fight tooth and nail for that, but... And it's, it's important, too. And I, of course, I'm always speaking to the audience here. You know, I talk with Charlie Kirk. I'm talking to him. But I want the audience to hear me. And I know how that must look to them. You have Tim Pool, 
and Charlie Kirk, and I describe systemic racism, and they accept it. And that to me, I mean, that, that if, if, any, if everything else had gone poorly, but I had managed just that, that would have been enough for me. But everything else went good too. Not everything else. There are a couple, uh, a couple things I could have done better. Uh, the by by the time we got to the abortion stuff at the end, I'm gonna be honest with you, my debate juice was running out a little bit. I came into that debate hella nervous. So when it came to the abortion bit, I was more like, oh god, the, the nuance of philosophy. So my debate juice was a little run out there. Um, when it came to some of the history stuff, um, I don't, I don't remember. Uh, every like detail of which year which state banned slavery but to be honest i felt like his rebuttal kind of came off a little bit weak you know um because he was like <laughs> you know america wasn't a slave state it's just there were states in america that were slave states okay <laughs> you know what i mean like even yeah, and it turns out he was he was he was inaccurate on some of the points there. But I just I feel like even giving him that, it's like okay. And then later I said, well, it still falls under the purview of the federal government to legislate whether or not that should be allowed. He he didn't even like push back against that. So yeah, um, man, I'm really happy with how that went. Any other things that I could have handled a little bit better? I think I could have um, I think I could have done a better job. The the main thing that I fucked up with on the vaccines was I forgot that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine wasn't an mRNA vaccine. If I remembered that, I could have come with that dunk earlier before Tim Pool pointed it out. Uh, but that's fairly minor. Um, so I don't think that was a huge deal. Uh, let me think. What else? What else? Oh, the, um, the, the Tim Pool talking about, like, soldiers leaving the military because of how... because of how woke... It is now. I, I can't. I, I can't defeat the anecdotal stuff. You know. Uh, that's. I, I feel like Tim does it a lot too. It's like you know. I know a guy. There's only so much I can do about that. Um, <laughs> the uh, the defund the police stuff. Yeah. Oh no. I think that was fine because Tim was trying to make the argument that the rise in crime was because police budgets had been cut even though crime has been rising steadily in every part of America and not just in the cities where the police budgets had been cut, you know? Um, it, it, yeah, it's just it, I, a very spurious association. I kept saying that, didn't I? Spurious correlation, spurious correlation. Plus, police budgets haven't been cut. I, I think a few did, but most of it is like they've tabled some proposed budget changes. And yeah, you have to remember, of course, in situations like this, um there there's always going to be a limit to how much stuff you can dive in on and i'm never as concerned with digging into every single individual point as i am to tackling the underlying message you know what i mean your take on reparations i think my take on reparations is sound the thing that i'm happiest with is i don't i didn't think that i had to you kind of mixed up with the notion of reparations. Yeah, let's do racial reparations, but it's actually welfare and socialism. No, I didn't say that. I just said that uh, if we're going to do reparations, the best thing that we could practically do would probably be like a great revival of like under underserved neighborhoods in this country. And I, by the way, guys, is that the first time I've said that? Definitely ain't. I'm sorry. 
pragmatically speaking, look, do I think that there's a strong moral argument to be made for some kind of like direct reparations to black people? Yeah, I think I totally. But in practice, that will never happen. What are you going to do? What blood quantum measurements are you going to do? You really going to have people pulling up family notes on who they were owned by? Their family was being owned by like 120 years ago? No, no, no. That's just not going to happen. Um, I think that we need to work on uh, a pragmatic, immediate solution that will have a strong and lasting impact, not only on the poor in this country, but also on racial inequality, because this would be a service that disproportionately benefits uh, people of color. Mostly black people because of how these um, these uh, neighborhood redlining blocks get pushed. Bosh, why not both? Because if I'm going to defend the concept of reparations, I'm going to defend the concept, the implementation, which is A, easier to do, B, will probably be more effective in the long run, uh, and C, uh, I think will have a more substantive and like politically agreeable uh, push for it, you know? That's what I. That's what I'd go for. Um, I don't know. The whole thing about the popularity of BLM wasn't great. I don't know what charts Tim Pool was looking at because I've taken a look at the dwindling support for BLM, and it, I no chart that I've seen had numbers as low as the ones that he was citing. You know, um, Pew Research support for BLM. Unless I'm like horribly misremembering. Yeah, Pew Research. Yeah, here we go. See? In Pew Research, uh, back in June 2020, 67% of all adults supported BLM. But he said at its height was 48% or something? Which, you know... It's also worth noting that Democrat support has basically not changed at all. Republican support has been cut down to, like, less than half of what it was, you know? I think he said 48 now. No, didn't he say it went from... 40. I, I know the chart that he was using. The numbers were different from what I was looking at. What, whatever. Anyway, uh, 48 now. Yeah, I know. I believe it's 48 now, but I thought he said that it hadn't, uh, it hadn't been as high. I don't remember the specific number now because uh, I'm very tired. My memory's bad. What about reparations for black Americans who suffered from redlining? I feel like that's the easiest one to defend against a conservative. The problem is that stuff is like really, really difficult to empirically prove on a person-by-person -person basis. Like, really think about it. A lot of redlining was just, like, people being shoved into neighborhoods through, like, the illegitimate discretion of, of, of people who were responsible for, like, you know, making housing available to people. Like, how could you prove that? Like, hey, my great-grandfather had enough money to get this house in 1936, but they didn't let him. But then later, in a worse neighborhood, they let him. Like, Stuff, the problem, I'm looking for solutions that don't, like, require every black family in America to dig through a bunch of archives and then submit to a court a huge amount of information, you know? Uh, it, because if that's the, like, metric, the threshold that we're going with, it's going to be really tough. Really, really, really tough to do, you know? Um, sometimes you just got to keep it simple. And, and that doesn't mean that's everything we can do. We can do more, but the immediate approach the best immediate approach for me at least is the one that i advocated for in my opinion that, that's just my opinion and you know it's definitely something you know people ain't very on uh did you hug charlie kirk no he's significantly taller than me uh i did shake his hand 
people want to know about the butt. Um, I literally at no point uh, did I ever see Charlie from the side or from behind. I'm really sorry. I'm, be I'm being serious, actually. A taller than you? Yeah, he's huge. Uh, a few a few other points that I want to touch on, though. Uh, first of all, the behind-the-scenes show went well. We talked about religion, some other stuff. I don't want to spoil, but, and I am proud of this, uh, no spoilers. You can see it if you want. You know, I respect the members-only content. I'm not going to break that line. Uh, but um, at its end, Charlie Kirk emphatically agreed with my preferred strategy for producing market socialism. Unironically, like, like full out, like direct government subsidization of worker cooperatives for the, to, to the effect of, of expanding them. And he acknowledged that worker co-ops are a, a effective and in some cases superior economic metric. And no, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. That was at the very end, but if you want to see, you can, yeah. Um, does he actually know what a worker co-op? Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, um, we talked about it at length. I think not as much as I wanted to, but at length. And I like that. I mean, this is one of the reasons. Again, this is one of the reasons why I'm so fond of this approach because it's it's really quite agreeable, you know, to left leaning people and I think even people who are more moderate. The idea that you're you're taking this from a democracy first approach. Um, it's not about some vindictiveness towards the bourgeois. It's not about some, you know, uh, a broad national project of collectivization. It's about the individual workers and their individual democratic right to live in a society where the work they do affords them the decency and the freedom to make decisions about their workplace. And, that, and that's a good functional way of, of approaching that, you know? Do you think he agreed with you only because it's not really a subject of popular culture war? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I just think it's really tough to argue against me. <laughs> I, I really think that a lot of the points that I was making there were pretty, like, difficult to... I mean, right? Did you leave with the same impression you previously had of Charlie Kirk? He's definitely more... At least I get the impression he's definitely more committedly religious than I thought he was. Wow. He reminds me of some of the people that I grew up with. Though they were Jews, not Protestants, but there's a an attitude of religious fundamentalism that informs the conservatism, you know? Charlie Kirk actually seemed very good faith in that discussion. He was significantly more good faith than I expected, for sure. Um, there were some attempts at digs there. He was also more well-read than I assumed. Don't make... Don't make the, um, the assumption that people like Charlie Kirk are unintelligent, okay? Um, d just, just don't do that, okay? Uh, because very rarely are they. Um, sometimes it's, it's easy to take a look at the sort of reductive, stupid talking points conservatives engage in, and you think like, oh, well, this person must be an idiot. No, that's just the rhetoric that works with conservatives. They can be quite intelligent. Um, always keep that in mind. Don't... Don't underestimate me. You're way more of a pessimist about humanity than I thought, lol. I think people respond to the incentives societies build for them. One of the things that bugged me, I said this in the debate, one of the things that has always bugged me about socialists is that 
they sometimes make arguments in favor of socialism, which make it sound as though socialism could only work if you presuppose humans are naturally generous, beneficent, giving. And I think that's idiotic. Like, so what? If a person has naturally pessimistic attitudes about humanity, they're just not capable of the, uh, the socialism? Yeah, no, no, no. It's all about incentive structures. If society encourages people to behave poorly, they will. And if it encourages people to behave well, they will. And I think that people are remarkably susceptible to environmental stimuli when it comes to directing their moral impulses. Now, for me, yeah, I think that's an optimistic take. Um, because when I think about that, I think about the world we live in, where we, there is significantly less violence than there has been throughout basically all of human history. There are more people on Earth and less violence. And we somehow, in spite of the incredible complexity and infuriating alienation inherent to our society, we still manage to get along. And I think that's really cool. He totally lost in the Vax argument. I will say this. I am very, very, very happy uh, that I was familiar with the nature of that self-reporting system. The one where if you take a drug or get a vaccine, you can report information on a website, you know? Um, because, wow! Yeah, uh, VARS? Yeah, VARS. Uh, because if I was not familiar, I looked it up and looked into the details. If I was not familiar with the specifics of that, I would have been really stumped on that point. Um, yeah. Ba basically, it literally is just like anybody can submit any opinion or any complaint. To <laughs> it's Basically, it's like, imagine a new drug hits the market, you know? And then in the coming months, there are like 500 reports from people saying, yeah, I took that and I have heartburn. That's kind of a startling coincidence that like maybe is worth looking into you know the problem with covid vaccines is that hundreds of millions of people have gotten it and there's also a propaganda campaign convincing people that it's dangerous so how do you know like hundreds of millions of people get it and then some people die after how do you know that's from the vaccine like seriously how do you know like what what's the correlation between getting the vaccination and dying after, like, people will die anyway. Did it anger you when Kirk impugned po polygamy and homosexuality? No, not at all. It worked for me. Um, that was um, another key rhetorical tactic, is you always have to be funny. Uh, and you have to be lighthearted, too. When I made jokes about, like, three parents, you know, 12 parents, he has to be serious, because to him, that's degeneracy. I don't have to be serious when I say that. For me, it's just funny, you know? So I get to look like I'm having a good time. Tim's laughing with me, you know. Uh, Ian, Moon Lord, is laughing with me, and I get the, yeah, you know. And, um, but Charlie Kirk has to be serious because it's an offense to his moral sensibilities. Same with homosexuality. I, if I'm talking with, like, a religious bigot, and they're like, I believe in traditional marriage, okay, I'm, my feelings aren't going to get hurt. But them having to look all serious on that point at least to some of the more socially liberal Tim Pool audience members, can make him look worse than me. You know? You know what I mean. Talk to your doctor about voting for Biden. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not gonna lie, in the second half, it seemed like he was trying to 
present to people that you were more conservative than you thought because he agreed. Yeah, that was really weird to me. I, I don't know what his direction was at the end there. Remember when I said, I want to maximize freedom for as many people as possible as long as you don't infringe on the freedom of others? And he was like, oh, what about pedophilia? It's like, well, that would infringe on the free freedom of others. And he was like, well, what about kidnapping or rape? And I was like, yeah, that would... It, yep, that would infringe on the freedom of others. And he's like, hmm, guess you need conservatism after all. Interesting. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm, afraid, I'm afraid I don't know what that means. Um, yeah. But the, the whole dynamic was flipped because the line has always been that the left is authoritarian, censorious, and collectivist. And that the right is all about individualism and freedom. But in this debate, it was made very clear that the opposite is the case. That uh, Charlie Kirk was defending the concepts of authoritarianism, censorship, to an extent. Uh, he didn't hold to that point too hard, but sort of um, implicitly. And uh, sort of moral policing. Whereas I was just defending freedom, you know? Um, and I really like that, that switch being flipped because I think that's a more honest representation of where the line actually is. I almost lost it when Tim Pool said you can make just as much money playing guitar as selling drugs. That was one of those things I really didn't want to get in on. Oh my God. Would you, you really think that if you're in like, like some of these neighborhoods, you'd be like, yeah, dude, my mom's got like a, got like a slip disc and she can't pay her medical bills. I'm going to go to a local bar and play guitar. Selling socks. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, and he made 140 an hour playing guitar. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Charles, maybe uh, Tim Pool's really good at guitar. I'm, I don't think everyone's that good at guitar. You honestly should have gone hard on that one. It's about the momentum. It's about the momentum. Did Charlie Kirk have security guards? No, no, he didn't. Tell us, is his face as small in real life as it looks on camera? Honestly, this is going to disappoint the fuck out of you guys, but the small face thing is a self-perpetuating meme. In person, I think he looked um I think he looked totally normal apart from being super tall. Sorry. No, I know. The gum to teeth ratio is bad. Well, he smiles with his upper lip, which gives him almost like a like a like a sneer by default rather than a smile. Um You know what I mean? But I don't think that's yeah, I don't I don't think that's like bad. I just, it's just an aesthetic, you know. No, no, I will, Berman, don't worry. Um Charlie's six four or six five, I think. Do you think you made a good enough distinction between the two CRTs? Yeah, even he conceded it. Um I spent guys, I spent so much time reading up on real critical race theory because I'm very familiar with wokeism, you know, I've done that. But real critical race theory. I whoever recommended those um opening arguments podcast episodes what was it uh 502 503 and 511 i think um those were great those were a really great introduction i read into it my laptop i had a bunch of quotes and i was ready to go on i had all the like crt bills lined up and then the crt bills didn't even end up being relevant because he never defended the government censorship and god it was so much fun hitting him with that Charlie Kirk wants the big hand of government to censor free speech. I love saying that shit, man. I love, I love having the shoes on my feet, you know? Um, so I didn't even need to touch that. 
the, the MLK stuff, he backed off immediately with the whole mixed bag line, so I didn't need to cite him because that already kind of is a concession to me in a way. And um, and with regards to the critical race theory stuff, they didn't actually seem that interested in talking about the academic critical race theory thing, you know? Um, which, I mean, fine, we'll talk about We'll talk about wokeism, whatever. Uh, I'm I'm cool with that. The funny thing is, I could be misremembering this, but don't didn't you guys get the impression that a little while into that debate, I was talking about actual critical race theory, not just the wokeism stuff, and they kind of didn't have a problem with it that much, you know? I was like, yeah, these are like complex academic theories that are meant to be challenging. They're divisive. You're not supposed to like agree with all of them. They're a way of prompting critical thought and i i how rare is it for me to get the opportunity to sit there and engage in the nuance of the of of the subjects of moral panics yeah and the whiteness thing i got to get away with the whiteness thing with the league of legends analogy humor does so much okay whiteness isn't the same as being white you know sometimes you can refer to like a broad group pattern without it being like an explicit distinction of it but then it's like yeah it's like you know when you make fun of league of legends players but they backed off it after that because it you know i also got the opportunity to talk about um is a man free if he's set to the desert without food water or clothing which is I, I, rapidly becoming one of my favorite it's not as catchy as the coconut island but i am very very fond of that one No, no, it's it's not. No, no, it's not the coconut island. The coconut island analogy is about how it is inherently exploitative to uh, 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 to trade or engage in uh, free exchanges with people when you have more power than them or when they need something from you. Whereas the desert analogy is about the difference between positive and negative freedom. Why didn't you bring up Coconut Island? Because we never talked about the implicitly har uh, exploitative nature of commerce, you know? Um, you're splitting hairs, Vosh? No, they're different analogies. You really should have read up on early American history. Yeah, yeah, there's always going to be stuff I can't... Yeah, no, I mean, it's something I should learn more about in general. Um, but yeah, the positive and the negative freedom stuff is really, really, really important to hit upon. This is my argument, by the way, for mandatory vaccines, which, by the way, they also let me get away with. I said that I wasn't really a big fan of needing vaccines to go to restaurants and stuff because that seems logistically complicated and kind of a pain in the ass. But if they made it part of going to school and traveling the way we do with all other vaccines, then, you know, and they let me get away with that. I can't believe that. But for me, the argument with vaccination is this, and I'll say this, and the right-wingers are completely right on this one, forcing people to get a vaccine is a violation of their bodily autonomy, okay? That's true. However, when it comes to autonomy and freedom, you have to make trade-offs sometimes, you know? Technically, it is a violation of my bodily autonomy to prevent me, for example, from like running around naked in the neighborhood, you know? I'd say it's a reasonable violation of my bodily autonomy. Fine. So maybe more specific with like medical things. The the thing is, with regards to um, vaccines, it's true that it is an infringement on your freedom to get you a vaccine. However, it is an infringement on everyone's freedom 
to compel them to live forever in a world ravaged by plague. You know? That's, um, that is also an imposition on people's freedoms. I, w I want to have the freedom to be able to live without a permanent virus cycling through the world. That's a freedom I think I'm entitled to. And we're not going to get that unless we all get vaccinated. You know? How'd the religion debate go? Um, oh, I don't want to spoil stuff in the members only section. Uh, a lot of it was just like sort of philosophizing because I don't believe humans can make statements on metaphysics or metaethics. However, I, I think I got a good point in. Did they spring that on you or they tell you in advance? Uh, I didn't have much info in advance, but I didn't expect to. That's, that's fine. I don't, I don't need, like, a forewarning on every topic, you know? Did they take your laptop? No, I had it right next to me. I just never used it. Did you see all the grapers in chat? Oh, the Nazis molding were amazing. If you went on 4chan, or some parts of Twitter or whatever, uh, they were absolutely seething. Nick Fuentes has been banned off, like, every platform, so now, like, the only thing that, like, he can get hard to anymore is the thought of being platformed by somebody who wasn't, you know, who was smart enough to not get nuked off every website in existence, you know? Um... And, and, like, all Nick wants is the attention. Like, if, if Nick, uh, uh, if Nick ever got, like, I, I, I feel like if Nick ever got caught by, like, a, to catch a predator, that'd be a win for him just because he's that desperate, you know? For, for a camera on him. You know what I mean? Like, any, any camera on him is a good camera. Uh, just absolutely anything. But there were people on 4chan, they were seething. The funny thing was, I actually got sent a clip from Nick. Nick uh, Fuentes was seething because he said there's no way anyone could believe Charlie Kirk beat me. Because he really hates Charlie Kirk, you know? Um, so yeah, I thought that was fun. Um, by the way, again, they'll never believe me. But they have no reason to be upset about any of this. Because if I won and my ideas took hold, all of their lives would get better. Would that be platforming if you debated Fuentes? Yeah, at this point, it would be platforming. At this point, like, legit, I'm being serious. At this point, legit, like, Nick Fuentes has had nearly two years to email me and have a conversation. I, my, my patience is not unlimited. I'm, get, I'm getting bored. Eventually, I'll be big enough that the cost-benefit analysis is not going to tip in my favor anymore. Like, it's not like the conversation with him would be like a battle of the minds. You ever seen him talk? He's a fucking moron. And his followers don't care whether or not the shit he says makes sense. Like, what would we get? He'd be on for five minutes, he'd call me fat 70 times, and... Would we talk about a point? No. Did your sub count increase since yesterday? Uh, yeah. Kyle made two videos on the debate. Two videos on it? Wow. Vosh destroys Charlie Kirk on vaccines with facts and logic. Vosh and Charlie Kirk debate libertarian socialism and freedom. Damn. Well, that's nice. Apparently, the uh, on the majority report they published, uh, or did they publish it, or was it just? Uh... Oh, here we go. X majority report fan has opinions about the show, Jimmy Dore, Vosh, and the Red Brown Alliance. I actually caught a listen to that a little bit while I was in the shower about an hour ago because somebody they uh, Discord I saw and. Um, this guy was like, uh, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't say nice things about Vosh. He's called all trans people he disagrees with mentally ill. Not to mention he said the N-word. So on and so forth. 
And you know what the first thing Sam Cedar responded with? I swear to God, I love this man. The first thing he responded with was, you know, I've said the N-word on air too. You know, back like 15 years ago, I, I was criticizing a racist perspective. I wouldn't do it now. And I was, I'm just grinning from ear to ear. Uh, God. Good stuff. It really is. Anyway, anyway, you know, I'm, I'm having a big old, uh, I'm having a big old giggle about all this. You know, uh, there are always, Diesler said you were better than he would be. I find that hard to believe, uh, that he would say that. But if he did, then appreciate it, I guess. With regards to, uh, oh, he did? Oh, well, how nice. With regards to, um, the debate, I'm happy with my performance. There are always ways to improve. Always ways to improve. Uh, I think I'll probably rewatch it on my own time at some point and uh, maybe see like point by point, you know. Uh, I don't want to do it on stream unless it's a little while out from the actual thing. Then again, Pimple did make quite a few views off that. I can't believe how much attention this got. It's Okay, can I just end with this? Can I just end with this? Okay. It is astonishing to me. I, I can't mentally get over where I am right now. You know what I mean? Do you still not know how famous you are, Vash? It's just weird to think about, you know? Like, am I still trending on Twitter? Or did I misread the thing, the sidebar? Nope, there I am. Still. Uh, 24 hours later. The whole political internet, you know, I can't... It's so weird to think about that. The the debate VOD has nearly half a million views. Uh, the comments in it are really positive, too. You know? The, the comments are really positive. Um, this was a pleasant surprise of a debate. Vosh hit this nail on the head. This was A+, one of the only healthy, civil, and productive debates I've ever seen. I came here expecting a hostile debate, but I gotta say, and then they say positive stuff, this was probably the best discussion Charlie Kirk, Vosh, and Tim Pool have ever done. I can say I don't agree with Vosh and all that much, but his beard is on point. Look, we just need... Can we just acknowledge the, the drip? Okay? That's what we need to acknowledge, alright? Proud. Drippy and proud. Look at that. I'm sorry, but I hate the jacket. That's okay. It's meant to evoke strong feelings, you know? Um, as a final point, there will be people who look at this and they'll say, I could have gone harder. The answer, of course, is that, yeah, I could have. But going hard in the debate environment that I was in is a very risky prospect. See how it uh, hurt and backfired against Charlie Kirk early on? He tried to do it early on, and it like really, really, really set him back, you know? Uh, I would rather, on platforms like that, in situations like that, play it close to the vest than risk everything, you know? Uh, by by trying to get really, really tough guns, you know? Someone in Tim Pool's chat said you were being disingenuous for trying to look like a doctor with your coat. 
I didn't even think about that. That's kind of funny though, right? It does it does lend me a sort of unearned air of uh medical uh expertise, doesn't it? That is very funny. I wasn't even thinking of that. Um They've seen right through you. Oh yeah. I'm gonna end this now, but look, uh I can't believe this. After the debate was done, uh not only did I get to go on a house tour with Tim Pool and fans uh and friends, uh and boy howdy, is there a lot of shit there. But uh, yeah, they have like six fucking 3D printers, okay? But 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 um also they had a gigantic debate promo poster that they had Charlie and I sign and they had uh portrait illustrators they had drawings of both Charlie and I that we we signed those as well and they're going to go in some big wall debate hall of fame that goes to 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 Tim Tim's house and I got a goddamn I got a goddamn gift basket. Look at that. Huh? Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's fun. Oh, and I, I gave I gave Tim Pool one of my shirts. You know? Uh so it was it was a fair trade. That's a fair trade. <laughs> Uh, God. Looks like Breaking Bad. It does look a little bit. You know, it's got got that vibe. Better not be the shirt with the pink hair girl. No, my shirts. The, the shirt. Why didn't you give Kirk a shirt? I only had so many extras. All right. Well. Those are my thoughts. I had a good time. I did. I'm, uh, really happy I went. Now, uh, I am, keep in mind, I am still running off of um, no sleep from last night. I have not slept since that debate. So I need to take care of myself. There are lots of donos to read. They'll all be read when I stream tomorrow. I'll stream tomorrow. It'll be 5 p.m. Um, we're going to get back into a more regular streaming schedule. Uh, I just want to say there are a lot of people watching right now. I really appreciate you guys. You know that? I still really cannot believe. I have trouble reconciling the unbelievable changes that to, to my life uh, that I have experienced over the past couple of years. And every step, I feel like the last one was impossible, and we're not doing it any further. I couldn't have imagined two years ago, like, oh yeah, one day you'll be debating Charlie fucking Kirk, you know? I couldn't have imagined. But this is the world we live in, and I really appreciate you guys sticking with me through it.